boy. I guess you like the new songs on the new album. So today you heard, uh, I think, three new songs that'll be on the new album. So kind of firsts, you've heard them first here. And uh, we will release that album in January. So um, I give you something to look forward to, amen? Amen. Well, welcome to uh, yet another day of uh, peaceful protest at Influence Church. We are uh, in the, I don't know, the six-month uh, mark of bondage in California, and we, uh, we honestly believe that if you're going to be a church, you stand in these times. If you want to be a religious institution, you go in hiding. I just really believe that with conviction. The more and more I've studied history, and that's one of my majors, and you study what happened in Germany and how the Lutheran Church folded, refused to stand and saw the consequence of that, and it never recovered, literally never recovered. Some people don't think that these are monumental times, but they are literally times that shift cultures in such a way that determine the future of your children and your children's children. You may think I'm overstating it. Time will tell if I'm a prophet or a fraud. But I believe that all of us in our gut feel like something is wrong. Something is wrong. And you may not be able to put your finger on it. One of the things I've, I've learned about the attack of the enemy is found in Ephesians 6, which is not our sermon for today, but it's just how I get a little extra time. But it said that, uh, that we put up the shield of faith in order to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. And we have to understand in warfare in, in Roman times, uh, the flaming arrows that they would shoot were not intended to hit any one target, only to put the entire army in disarray so that those with the, sh the short two-edged sword could go in and take care of the army that's in battle disarray. And what you have is whenever you see something you can't put your finger on, it probably means the enemy is shooting fiery darts at you and it's not pinpointing any one thing. You just have something in your spirit that says this is not right. This is wrong. Something's going on. Um, our nation has a very interesting history. And we could go back and look at America's prophetic history. I've written on that. You can go on AmericanFaith.com and see something that I submitted. I think it was either to Fox News or to, uh, it was published actually as an editorial in either Fox or Charisma, I can't remember which. But I talk about Columbus and how he had this, this movement of the Spirit of God in him to find this new place. And later that would follow up with the Jamestown colony in 1607. And that colony was struggled, but it was one that was started uh, with the idea of God in mind. Let me just read to you from Reverend Hunt the dedication that they made when they got off the ship there in Jamestown in 1607. He said, we do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and raise up godly generations after us. With these generations, take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains 
and may this land be evangelist to the world. May all who see this cross remember what we have done here, and may those who come here to inhabit us in this covenant and in this most noble work that the Holy Scriptures may be fulfilled. There doesn't seem to be a lot of indecision about God in the early days of our nation. And if you study all the constitutions of all the states uh, that formed this nation, you will find uh, a very strong and very dominant theme of God and trust in God in every one of them, an acknowledgement that he is the creator, sustainer of the universe. One of the things that we have to do in times like this is to be strong and to be courageous. It's easy to fall back into fear, isn't it? It's easy to, to wonder about your future and be uncertain about your finances or your family, your health, or whatever else is, is, is confronting you in this moment. But you have to make a decision to be strong and to be courageous. And if you let emotions guide your, your direct, the direction of your life, you will always fall back in fear. You see, everything in your life begins in your mind, it moves to your will, and then your emotions respond to what you've been thinking about. If you think fear, you will get fear. Because what you do is you begin to think it, you embrace it, you make a decision, there's a lot to be fearful about, and all of a sudden emotional, uh, emotions follow that decision of your will. So it all starts with your mind. That's why the Bible says you need to renew your mind be transformed, don't let it be conformed to the thinking of this world, but rather let it be transformed, and that's the Greek word metamorphos. So the idea is you have to metamorphose your mind in such a way that it thinks the way that God thinks. See, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. When you, when you put that application in your mind, you say, I have the mind of Christ. It changes everything. Now worry begins to diminish from your life. When you face your fears, they get smaller. When you run from them, they get bigger. In the book of Joshua, chapter one, God spoke to a fearful man named Joshua. He had watched Moses lead this army out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And then the mantle is then handed to Joshua, and he didn't feel like he was up for the task. How could he fill the shoes of Moses? And God spoke these words to him. He said, only be strong and be very courageous. I know you don't want to be courageous. I know you don't want to be strong, Joshua. But I'm telling you, be strong that you may observe uh, to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So he said, if you're going to prosper wherever you go. You're gonna to have to be strong. You're gonna to have to be courageous. You're gonna to have to keep the word of God and stay on course. When you get out of that, when you get out of feeling, of, of, of acknowledging your strength, falling back into fear and not grabbing courage, when you stop relying on the word of God for your guidance and start relying on what media tells you is going on, you will not prosper. And prosper is more than just having money in your pocket. Prosperity is a wholeness of life whereby everything is working the way it's supposed to work. God wants things to be not broken, but working. And all of your life can work. You can be in the greatest storm of your life. Jesus proved that. He was in the boat sleeping during a storm. 
And the disciples were fearful. These were seasoned fishermen, and they were afraid. And they woke him up. They said, Lord, we perish. What happened? They forgot who they were. They were seasoned fishermen. They had God in their boat. Now think about that. If God's in your boat, well, at least we're all going down together. Amen? They were afraid. He, they woke him up. He was sleeping through the storm just as you need to sleep through the storm in terms of reaction. Woke him up. He looked around. He said, peace be still, and the wind and the waves obeyed him. And then it says they were greatly afraid. You see, what's more fearful than a storm is having God in your boat and you're not following him. He says, he goes on to write in Joshua, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What does that mean? You speak the word of God wherever you go. You get the word of God in your heart. You remember it. You memorize it. If you don't have it memorized yet, you read it, and you say, I'm just going to let, I'm going to speak the word of God wherever I go. Proverbs says, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Be teachable by God's word. Let it, in, let it invest itself in your heart. Meditate day and night. When you lay down at night, meditate on the word of God. Don't meditate on your problems. Meditate on your problems, you'll have more problems when you wake up that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And then there's a really important word comes here, a four-letter word, it's the word then. For then you will make your way prosperous. You mean I've gotta do all of this in order to get prosperous in my life? Absolutely. That's what it means. Then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you when you meditate on his word, when you're strong and you're courageous, when you speak the word of God out of your mouth, the Lord is with you. If you choose not to do that, you're on your own. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means you're going to be a pathetic one. If you ever met Christians, you say, I don't want that kind. I don't want that version, right? I want the version that's courageous, that could stand in the face of adversity, that can proclaim God's word without any shame or any fear in their life. Some of you have heard the name of Joseph Botarenko. In 1962, he was given a choice to conform or be expelled from the Russian Naval Academy. They said to him, God or diploma, you choose. Hard decision after you've spent six years of your life preparing to be a Russian uh, sailor. And yet he said this, God gave me strength and courage and I made my choice. I said, serving God and my neighbor is the meaning and purpose of my life. I cannot deny him who gave his life for me. I cannot deny God for the sake of the diploma. So after six years of study, I was expelled from the Naval Institute and was in prison for nearly 10 years in the Soviet prison camp. What would you have done? 
He went on to say this, speaking about our current situation. He's still alive. He lives in Santa Barbara. He's 83 years old today, and he, this is what he said just a few weeks ago. I see a lot of parallels between the Soviet regime and the things that are happening now. Because there was a time in history where they, that is the communists, closed churches completely. Then they would reopen a little bit, and if the church was open, there were certain guidelines given to pastors. He went on to say, don't they realize what is happening now in America is exactly what happened to us in communist Russia? It started with don't gather, don't sing, spread apart, listen to the government, then it quickly turned into a full-on persecution, and the church did not wake up in time. Went on to say, first they took away the freedom of speech, sound familiar? Freedom of assembly, sound familiar? Freedom of the press, sound familiar? And imposed a very strict censorship and control of all media. Does it sound prophetic? You see, history does repeat itself unless someone changes the narrative in the process. Mankind apart from God is sinful and will always choose to rebel against God. It's our nature. But when we're redeemed, it should be our nature to say, we're gonna make our world better. We're gonna make our world safer. We're gonna make our world cleaner. We're gonna make our world fair. We're gonna, we're gonna eliminate everything that is detrimental to the goodness of mankind. We're gonna follow the Constitution, which is totally unique of all peoples of all, world, of all the worlds. We're gonna make sure that that's what we do, and we're gonna, we're gonna do everything we can as Christians. We're not gonna sit back and just be quiet. Well, somebody else is smarter than me can handle it. No, they're not. They're not smarter than you, and they're not doing anything. It's up to you, and you, and you, and every one of you. You see, we're living in a day where there's an influx of demonic forces in our world. You may not think that this is going on, but this is, I could go into great depth in the detail of this, but I'm gonna give you an overview of how, what God says in his word about what his position on this and what we can expect in the latter days. We are living in the latter days. The prophetic clock began to tick in 1948 when Israel became a nation, and we're beginning to see prophecy fulfilled uh, all through this time that we're living in now, and we are positioned very, very close, I believe, to the return of Christ. But in Deuteronomy chapter 18, when Israel went into the land, God said to them, you need to beware of what you're entering. You're not entering the land of milk and honey without problems. You're entering the land of milk and honey with problems, but you can conquer these problems. But you have to be aware of what are the issues and who are the enemies that you're going to face. In Deuteronomy 18, he says, when you come into the land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. So what's he saying? He's saying you cannot be conformed to the world that you're going to enter. You cannot let the thinking of that world guide you or influence you for the wrong. You're gonna to have to stand strong. And then he gives some examples. He said, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Now let me give you a little explanation. They worshiped in that pagan land the god of Molech. And Molech would offer their children up as a sacrifice 
as newborn babies, they would offer them to this god Molech. It's not very much different than what we do with abortion. We sacrifice children for convenience. We sacrifice children for economics. And we've been really good at it since 1973. He went on to say this, or one who practices witchcraft, a soothsayer, interprets omens, a sorcerer, by the way, the word sorcerer in the Greek is where we get our word pharmaceutical. It is the use of illicit drugs to bring about a, a psychedelic experience and to alter, and that is actually considered in scripture as demonic, it's sorcery. Or one who conjures up spells, or a median, or a spiritualist, or one who calls on the dead. See, all of these things the nations do, God says these are not on my list of to-do lists. For all who do these things are what? An abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord God drives them out before you. God says, you cannot tolerate this in your world. In your, in your scope, if you've got people that are engaged in this kind of activity, let me give you some advice, run. They will change you before you will fix them. If your children are engaged in this, and whether this is through personal testimony, video games, or anything else, this will change the mindset, and it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you, because you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Now that's Old Testament, let's go to the New Testament. First Timothy chapter four, verses one and two. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, when? The latter times. Some will depart, and that's where we get our word apostate. That means to leave the faith. It says they will depart from the faith. Did you notice it's the definite article in front of the word faith? This is not talking about your personal faith that you have in God. This is talking about the word of God, the faith. They will depart from the faith, and what will they do? They will give heed to a seducing spirit. You ever been seduced? Sure you have. You went to the mall, you saw a piece of clothing you really liked, you couldn't afford it, but you know, somehow inside of you, it made you feel so good, and you said, I am gonna buy it. You were seduced. But imagine if it's a seducing spirit. So now, what you take in the material world, you say, yeah, I've been seduced by buying something I shouldn't have bought. But imagine now, in the spiritual realm, if you're seduced by a spirit into the realm of darkness, and somehow you weren't aware what was really happening to you in that moment. He said, so give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So we believe in the doctrine of God. We believe that the word of God is, is the word of God and it is sound teaching. But remember that we're not the only people that are teaching things. There's a lot of teaching going on in our world. There's a lot of instruction about what's right, what's important, you know, what's your priority. And the Bible says that demons have priorities and they wanna teach you some stuff. And they're more than willing to just disciple you in this process of of, of doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. So he imagines that there are people without conscience. 
They really don't care. When people say, well, I think everybody in the world is good. No, they're not. Some are evil and bad people. Some are what we might define as a hardened criminal. They would take your life and not even worry about it. They would never think about it. Do you realize that when Satan really puts the pressure on you and tries to disrupt your life, that he never feels bad? He goes, ah, you know, maybe I've given him enough. He doesn't have a conscience. And the Bible says there are those who follow after him whose, whose conscience is seared. That is, there's no sensitivity as there wouldn't be sensitivity to a nerve and fire. So what does this say? Two words I just want to pull to your attention here. First is depart. That is, you have to depart, right? It says some will depart. Depart means it's purposeful, intentional, deliberately separates oneself from the truth. Once affirmed to depart for another teaching. So there are people, and you're going to see it as we get closer to the return of Christ, there are people who, who yesterday said they were Christians, today they're not sure, and the next day, they totally are against Christian teachings. That's what he's talking about. They depart from the faith. Deceiving or seducing spirits, this refers to the source of errors, heresies, or false doctrines, supernatural demonic uh, demon spirits who are, who are fallen angels. The word seducing comes from the very uh, word where we get the word planet. That's the idea of wandering. Those spirits who would lead you to wander from the truth. Have you ever noticed how when you kind of get away from God, it's not like a sudden just, well, I don't like God anymore. You compromise here, you make excuses here, you question the word of God here, and it all starts with some Christian you know who's not a very good Christian. Some church that did you wrong. What, how, do you get, how do you go from here to here a little at a time? And all of a sudden, you can begin to justify it. And I'm, I really think in this day, it is a day of warning because we're living in a day like I have not seen and you have not seen either in America. I haven't talked to anyone said, oh, yeah, this is normal. This happened before. This is not normal. This has not happened before. If we're as close to the return of Christ as I think we may be, we have to, we have to double down and engage in the word of God, in the spirit of God, in the community of faith, and understand that it is, it is time to look up for our redemption draws near. Amen. Can I get a witness on that? You see, you want to be on the right side of history. Speaking with someone this week, we were talking about the Berlin Wall. You realize how many people had the opportunity before the wall went up to go into West Germany, but they didn't. Because they were on the, and they ended up being on the wrong side of history. Imagine that, that you're in the wilderness and you're following the cloud of God. The cloud would lead the, the nation of Israel through the wilderness but remember, on the other side of the cloud were the Egyptians. They were on the wrong side of the cloud. They were on the wrong side of history. Make sure you're on the right side of history. I can guarantee you one thing. If you study history at all, you will know this. Appeasement is never the right side of history. Chamberlain came back and he announced, I've met with Adolf Hitler, and I think that we're going to have peace in our time. It will go down in history as one of the dumbest things anyone ever said. 
But he thought appeasement was the answer. You cannot appease the enemy. Don't make covenant with the enemy. In the book of Nehemiah, remember the enemies came and they said, hey, come on down here and meet with us in the plain of Ono. And it's a good reminder, just say, oh no. Amen? No, I ain't going. And you know what he said? Why should I leave this great work of God to go down and meet with you? He said, well, doesn't you think it's a Christian thing to go meet with the enemy in the valley? You never meet with anybody in the valley unless you got Jesus with you, amen? You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you better make sure he's there. I don't know about you, but that psalm always bugged me. You know, I always wanna say, God, can we go another way? The valley of the shadow of death, I mean, isn't there like a mountain path? But you see, he wants to take us through the difficult times to show his sufficiency and his care for us so that when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death and we learn to fear no evil, for why? You are with me. We get to the other side and there's a table prepared before us in the midst of what? All of our enemies, it says, Psalm 23. We sit down, he begins to fill our cup up and anoint our head with oil. And then he reminds us that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, for we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No wonder Jesus said, I go to prepare a house for you, for where I am there will you be also. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Were I not so, I would have told you so. I've told you so. God said, I told you so. Everything is ready. Everything is set up. Trust me with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. So we come to this last chapter of the book of Joshua, chapter 24, and he says this. Now he's a seasoned warrior. He's seen, he's seen everything up to this point. He's grown in his faith, and he says, choose. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, choice is a deliberate act. You have to choose to, to follow God. It's not something that just comes naturally. You just, I'm just naturally kind of follow. No, you choose every day to say, I will make the Lord my strong tower. Many choices will come and say, and ask you, would you follow me? Would you serve me? Why don't you serve me? Serve me, serve me. You know, the, the way you tell the difference between the voice of God and the voice of Satan, God always puts it out there in a still, small voice. Satan always nags. Huh, huh, well, what, me, 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 what, 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 gotta do it, gotta go it. If you hear that voice, step back, do nothing. When in doubt, don't. Wait for the still, small voice of God. Amen? U.S. Attorney General William Barr, thank God for this man in this season we're living in. He said this about what's happening. He said, this is not decay. This is organized destruction we're witnessing in America. He went on to say, secular forces and their allies have marshaled all the forces of mass communication, popular culture, the entertainment industry, and academia in an unremitting assault on religion and traditional values. We're watching right now this battle for the Supreme Court nomination. I thought maybe it would be helpful if, if we could get Trump on his deathbed to say it is my dying wish that you only elect a conservative from this point on. 
Let me tell you something. When you build your platform on the dying wish of someone instead of the Constitution, you're in trouble. There's two views of the Supreme Court. Many of you know this. I don't want to bore you with extra stuff, but maybe it would help. There's two kind of judges that you will find on the Supreme Court now, in the past, and in the future. One will be what's called an activist judge. Ginsburg was an activist judge. The definition of judicial activism is a judicial philosophy that the courts can and should go beyond the words of the Constitution or a statute to consider broader societal implications of its decisions. That is the height of subjectivity. You see, it's where we got into trouble with the idea of a precedent. Have you ever made this statement? Well, I don't want to set a precedent. I don't care about setting a precedent. I'll do it once. That's fine. I made a decision. This is what we're going to do. Why do we do it? It's based on truth. But you see, whenever the court system began to shift from a, a, a code and a solid base for law and shift into the opinion levels of other decisions in a court case, then they would review and say, what did all the other judges say? Well, what if all the other judges were wrong? I remind you the Supreme Court on one occasion, nearly 200 years ago, said that a black man was not a human being. Do we want to use that as a precedent? No, we don't, because we believe all men are created equal and should be valued equally, regardless of the color of their skin. The other view from an activist is an originalism, and that is the Constitution must be interpreted based on the original understanding of the authors or the people at the time it was ratified. In other words, what gives us the basis for, for making decisions is what does the law say? What did the Constitution say? What did the writers intend in that moment for us to understand how to progress as a nation? We've seen some interesting cases over the years. Engel versus Vitali in 62, the removal of prayer to the Jehovah God in public education. Uh, Abington School District versus Shemp in 63, the removal of the Bible from public schools. Roe versus Wade, the murder of the unborn children. Stone versus Graham in 1980, the removal of the Ten Commandments from public school walls. That's worked out really well for public schools, hasn't it? Let's take God, let's take prayer out of the scene, and let's see how we do. Ronald Reagan, uh, I think one of his best speeches ever, A Time for Choosing, I'm going to give you some excerpts from it. He said, if nothing in, in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have not chosen the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down the guns and refused to shoot the shot that was heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools, and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. 
You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price that we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Well said. Well said. When you make a decision to follow Christ, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me every day. You know what that means? You die to what you want. I die to self, I live unto God. It's as simple as that. Whenever Phil gets in the way, it gets to be problematic. How about you? Can you relate to that? Phil is not perfect. We affirmed that last week. I wanna just remind you that nothing's changed. But when I die to self, it's not me, but it's Christ who lives in me. The evidence you see of God in me is him, not me. It's him in me. That's Christianity, Christ living his life in you and through you. And how do we get to that place? We get that way by faith. We call on the name of the Lord. We say, I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins. He was buried in a tomb. And according to scripture, three days later, he rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. When I believe that, when I put my faith in that God and those words, there's a transformation that takes place. The transformation is I become a son or a daughter of the living God. You become a child of God. You're saved, you're redeemed, you're born again. Whatever term you wanna use, something changes in your life. You become a new person in Jesus Christ. And now, this temple is the temple of the living God. His spirit lives inside of you to guide you, to lead you, to give you wisdom, to help you understand the word of God, to give you power and authority in prayer. It's all about him. Not about you, it's about him. Have you made that decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not, can I ask you, what's keeping you from that decision? What keeps you back from meeting the God of the universe? What keeps you from having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? What keeps you from being forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and in the future? What would hold you back? You have the power of decision, your mind, your will, and then the emotions follow. I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer with me like this one. If you've never believed on the Lord or if you're uncertain about your eternal destiny, would you pray this prayer right where you sit, right where you stand? You can pray it right out loud. I think there's some value in praying it out loud, actually. Remind the devil that you're praying. Amen? Pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins, I believe that you were buried in a tomb, that you rose from the dead according to the scriptures, that your promise is that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Save me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and bring me into the family of God. Amen. That was your prayer, right where you sit, right where you stand. You can just thank him, say, God, thank you for saving me today. 
Thank you for saving me. And that's the first step in preparation for these last days that we're living in. Amen.